Thank you, Stephanie. Man, I regret skipping piano lessons. Gosh. But at least someone can do it. Hey, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. If you would turn there in your Bibles with me, I'd appreciate that. Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can surely grab one out of the pew rack in front of you or maybe look over a friend's shoulder. Love to look at the Word that way. Uh, before we get started in, in Luke, I, I just want to mention a couple things that are, that are taking place and, uh, and just kind of share my heart about them. Uh, they're on the flyer in your bulletin, the, the Christmas at FBC things, things going on. And uh, for some of you ladies, you can sign up for the cookie exchange out in the lobby afterwards. But uh, otherwise, on this coming Friday, we have an opportunity to, to really be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's one of our Love Does projects. Uh, we, the, the Christmas baskets Ryan's been talking about, the families that have been put on that list, and maybe you're a family that's on that list. We get together on Friday at 1.30 here at the church, and we assemble our team. We have a shopping list. We go shopping, and, and uh, we work with the, with the stores and, t- and the community to, to get discounts for food for, uh, for needy families. And, and it's, re- it's really fun to go shopping, by the way. With I mean, you're talking like six big carts full of food, and you have these, this list of what you need to get, and I get It's fun. So we go together to do that, and we bring it back to the church. And we usually get, get back to the church just before 3 o'clock, and we start assembling uh, all the boxes. Uh, people, we've, we've actually taken orders from people like, do you want turkey or do you want ham? Do you like green beans or do you like corn? And we, we go through and we divide those up to make sure that each one is tailored to the right family. Uh, when we did our hanging of the boughs, we had uh, some of the kids, and actually some of the adults as well, were, were decorating Christmas ornaments and making Christmas ornaments that we will actually give as gifts in these Christmas baskets as well, as, and they'll, they'll go too. So great opportunity uh, this coming Friday at 1.30 to meet here at the church. If you can't quite get here at 1.30, if you want to show up at 3 just to assemble all the, all the boxes, that's awesome. But then after that, about 3.45-ish, uh, we, we group them into uh, areas like, like Dunsmere, Weed, McLeod, Mount Shasta, wherever we need to go, and, and we group them kind of by close proximity. And then, then folks can take them to those, uh, those families and, and bless them and, and deliver them and pray for them. Uh, it's, it's a great opportunity for us to really love people. And, and here's, here's why I'm, I want to share that with you. It, it's so, so easy to become overwhelmed during Christmas and the season with stuff that really doesn't matter as much as serving others, as loving others, as, as, as sharing Christ's love. This, this is the time where we, we, were, we were given a son, Jesus Christ, who came to redeem us, save us from our sins, to forgive us. And, and what better way than to give, give back and to love and to share, pe- share with people the hope that's in Christ. And that's not only through a Love Does project. That's how we, that's how we don't get all stressed out about Christmas, right? We, when, we're, when we kind of can relax a little bit and say, you know what, this is about Jesus. That's the most important thing. That's a testimony to the world. So I want to let you know that opportunity is this Friday. I'd love to have you be a part of that. That's, a, that's open to the church family, anyone who's able and willing to come down and be part of that. Um, the second thing is next, and Ryan mentioned this, next Sunday uh, is our Christmas celebration Sunday service, right? So we have one, one church service at 1030 right here. And, and you know, I, <clears throat> I, I hear back and forth a lot. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's too crowded. It's too much energy, too much excitement. I, I don't think excessive happiness are bad things. I like that. So I, I get it. I get it, though. Sometimes it's kind of uncomfortable being around people. I would just really encourage you, that, and especially just in general, as the family of God, this is not a church service where you and I come just to sit and partake and like, and and get. We, as the family of God, are here to come and give. And and when you are not here, we miss out on you. And when I'm not here, you miss out on me. Right? That we. There, this is a family. And when all the family can get together, yeah, it gets a little crazy. But it's wonderful. It's a wonderful time. So I'd really encourage you to be able, be able to be part of that service and and come and just be with the family. Not, not that there's a special performance. It's going to be kind of chaotic. There's kids going to be coming up here doing the kids thing, and we'll sing a couple songs, do a little bit of sermon, sing some more, it, like we normally do. It's kind of chaos, right? It's not some special, spectacular performance you're going to go away with like, oh, my goodness. You're, what's special about it is us being together. Really, really special. I, ho- I hope you can make it out for that uh, on the 22nd, right? Or 20, I'm sorry, 23rd. Next Sunday is the 23rd, 1030, one service here at the church. Um, the next night is Christmas Eve, right? Can I get an amen for that? We're getting closer and closer. It's coming, right? And, and Christmas Eve, we, we have traditionally, I don't even know how long, at least decades, right? At our church, we've had a Christmas Eve candlelight service here. And it is, for me and my family, it, is, it, is, it has been and has become the most special service that probably, we probably do all year. And again, coming back to this time of the year has to slow down. Our hearts have to slow down. We have to reflect. We have to be able to understand what is this season about. 
And, and Christmas Eve, my, my family, the Turk side, we meet on Christmas Eve. We do our celebrations. We do our gift exchanges. We do our fun. But we have made it so that our, our family time is before the Christmas Eve service and then after if we want to. But we come to the service because it is, it is just, again, solidifying in our heart what, is, what this is all about. Uh, we come, and it's simple, simple service. We come in, we, we fill the place up, and we, we sing Christmas carols. Traditional, good, just Christmas carols. We sing them, and we celebrate, and we worship in that way. Uh, we worship Jesus. And then, and then when I, I read the Christmas story. It's just a, a simple reading of the Christmas story from Scripture that we've been encouraged by that. And, and that's, that's it. Maybe sometimes, some years we have a, a little kid or a, little, a couple of little kids want to sing a special Christmas song or Happy Birthday, Jesus. But it's really, the focus is simple. And, and sweet, succinct, to get us and our hearts set on, on, on Jesus. And at the end of that Christmas story, we, we gather around the outside edge of the sanctuary, probably two or three people deep, right? And we all have candles that we, we will have in our hands, and we'll have a candlelight time service where we light our candles and, and we sing Silent Night. And we just end with that. We end focusing our heart on Jesus. And, and it really, for me, it's so special because I want that. I want my heart to be focused on Jesus. I don't want the stress and the craziness of what's going to happen the next morning take away from, from Jesus. I want, I want Jesus to, to be what, what overflows in all those other areas of my life. So <clears throat> I'm just saying it's amazing opportunities. I'd hope, I'd hope you'd be able to be there uh, and to celebrate. It, it's, it really is a special time. This is a special time of the year, isn't it? It's a really great time. So that's my public service announcement for the day. We'll go into Luke chapter 1. We're continuing in our series, um, Zechariah's Song, and uh, in Luke chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 76 through 77 today. Just a little bit of recap. We, uh, we started this kind of with a almost not quite in the sermon series, but, but a, a precursor to it. When we talked about how God broke the silence between the Old Testament uh, time of the prophets and, Ma- and the book of Malachi, and then the 400 years of, of kind of absent, there's, no, there's silence, no prophets, no, no scripture being written. Uh, and he broke the silence with the angel Gabriel's uh, announcement to Zechariah that, hey, you're, you're going to be a dad. We're going to read a little bit of that again today. We're going to actually start in verse 5 today if you're in Luke 1. Uh, and kind of read, read and recap that, because it's relevant to what we're, we're going to be talking about. So God broke this silence, and he broke the silence saying, listen, my covenant, my promise that I've, I've given to you is going to come true, and, and this should be an exciting, exciting time. And then we started the series off, uh, after that, we started off with, with this praise, this, this um, overflow of praise, right? An outburst of praise that came out of Zechariah's heart. He, he couldn't have kids, right? His wife was barren. He, he was too old. He thought, we can't have kids. You know, and this is probably something he'd prayed about often. Uh, he and his wife, at least in the early years, maybe he'd given up on it at one point. Um, and, then, and then we see this, this awesome promise come forward, and God's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, the time has come, right? The Messiah is on his way, and your son, Zechariah, and remember Zechariah, his name means what? Yahweh remembers, the Lord remembers Right? Remembers what? Well, his promise from 400 years ago and beyond and before, all the way even back to Genesis 3. God's remembering his promise through Zechariah. And then your son, his name should be called John. Remember, John's name is John. God is what? Gracious. God is gracious. So God's ready to pour out his grace on his people. And he, he's, he's fulfilling this promise through, uh, through Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it's an amazing, amazing time. And what an experience to have for this, this older couple who maybe had no hope in this. But were, and he was, he was a priest, just a, a lowly priest, serving the best he knew how. And, and God comes and says, listen, I, you're going to have a kid. And it's, it's going to be the forerunner, the, the one that paves and makes, makes straight the, the path in the, desert, in the desert for the Lord Jesus Christ. How exciting is that? I mean, are you excited for Elizabeth and for Zechariah? I mean, this happened centuries ago. I hope you're excited about that. I, I still just, I mean, like that just bubbles up excitement for me. This is Christmas. Christmas is coming, and that's, that's what we celebrate. So we talked about this over, overflow of praise in our first sermon. As, as Zechariah's prophecy came out, we kind of talked about how it even showed, even, even when he was muted. Remember, the angel came and said, hey, you're going to have a son. And, and he, he's in the middle of this, like, awesome opportunity. He won the lottery as he got drawn to, to go in as a priest and light the incense in the, in the temple. And, and he's, he's like on cloud nine, right? He's, he's excited. And then the angel comes during that time and you think like, wow, this is all working out. God's kind of setting this up. But then he kind of questions the angel. So the angel says, no, because you didn't believe me about this, this child, you're going to be mute until he's born. So we, see, we pick that up. You see that just before his song in, in Luke uh, chapter 1. Um, Zechariah is, or I'm sorry, John is born, and then Zechariah is able to not be a mute anymore, and he's able to speak, and it's an overflow of praise. He's and he's bottled this up for nine months, right? He's, he's bottled this up like, oh man, I can't wait to. Well, I mean, what's he going to say? 
Before he can speak, though, what did he do? Remember, this is the first praise from the heart. They, they wanted to name him something like Zechariah. I wanted to name John Zechariah. And no, 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 you can't, you can't name him that. His name will be John, his mother said. Well, come on, that's, there's no Johns in your family. And, and she, they, they, so they asked Zechariah, they motioned to him, what do you think? And they gave him a tablet, he, he motioned, and he, and he writes something down. And I really think this is, this is like coming up. He knows that his praise is bubbling up and boiling over. And, and he writes down, his name is John and he, on this tablet. His name is God is gracious. That's, who, that's his name. That's what his name is going to be. Okay, okay, his name's John. It's John. And then his lips are opened. And he just outburst of praise. And it says that he was filled with the Spirit. And he prophesied. And he, he has this song that we have now. We have captured this essence of, of a heartfelt um, worship and praise to God. Overflow of praise that came from the heart. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's how we should live our lives. And that first sermon, we asked, we asked this question. I had you ask a question, and I asked a question. So what song are you singing? Because praise really comes from the depth of the heart, and we have to ask ourselves, what song are we singing? Especially at Christmas. And, I, and, and you know, this is three weeks ago we had this sermon, and Christmas was kind of getting here. We had some decorations up. But the, the stress wasn't there yet, was it? And we say, what song are we singing? Oh, I'm singing Christmas. It's great. I love it. And I, it's on the radio all the time. And as it kind of gets closer, it's like this event is going to happen, and we have to be ready for it. It takes a toll on us. And we still have to ask ourselves, what song are you singing? I know we have stress and loss and grief and even victories and great things happening. But overall, the song that should come from our heart is like Zechariah saying, God is amazing. Here's, here's the Redeemer. His promise is being fulfilled. We are holding on to that. And that's, that's the song we should sing. And then the next sermon last week, we talked about the actual promise. He, he went into the promise of God and these, this Old Testament, like this covenant and what the promise did in his heart. And here's what, what we said. We said that we often live by fear and guilt, and actually the entire world lives by fear and guilt. And, and every other religion, except for Christianity, says, I, I hope I did enough. I hope I earned it. Even those who aren't religious are, are laying their head down on their pillow at night, hoping they've done enough. Am I, am I a good person? Am I, am I good enough? Do people like me? Do they accept me? For those who are religious, can, can the God that I worship, whatever little g God that is, will he accept me? Will he approve? I hope so. That's fear and guilt. We're living by fear and guilt. And he, we see in this song how he says the promise of God, the redemption that's offered in Christ through God, that eliminates fear and guilt. We don't have to serve him out of fear anymore. We serve him out of love. And, and, and what it is, we serve him out of faith and, and his and righteousness, right? And we, we, we trust in his righteousness for, our, for ours. It's no longer us trying to earn it. So the question I had us posed last week was, are you living by guilt and fear or are you living in faith in his righteousness? And, and that's a huge difference. And I think some of us, even, even Christ followers who have, who, have, who have his righteousness, who have expressed faith in him, tend to like go back and forget and then we live in fear and guilt. That's not how he wants us to live. And, and, and this song is showing that we should live by, by faith and righteousness. Today, we're going to look at what it means to be great. And, and we should answer this question. How am I measuring greatness? Or how do I measure greatness? Because we all measure greatness differently, don't we? It's a, and, and a lot of it's based maybe on our surroundings, who's around us and who, who's influential in our lives. But I'll, I'll give you an example of this. This week, uh, I had someone ask me, that, I, I went and said, hey, how's it going? And I go, oh, hey, how's it going? Are you ready for Christmas? They, they asked me that question. Are you ready for Christmas? How many of you have had, had a question like that? Are you ready for Christmas, right? And here, here's, here's what I know that this person meant. Have you got all your shopping done? I mean, have you wrapped the presents? I mean, are you ready for Christmas? I mean, are, you, have, are they wrapped? Did you get your tree up and decorated? Have, have the, are the lights on the outside of the house? Do you have your holiday plans set up? Do you know when and where you're going and, and who's cooking what? I mean, are you ready for Christmas? That was the question that was asked, right? And that's a question that people ask all the time. Every day we'll get that. If we're, if we're living amongst people, we're going to probably get that question. Are you ready for Christmas? And here's what it's saying. It's saying that we measure greatness on how well prepared and efficient we are to celebrate the giving and exchanging of gifts and spoiling our kids rotten. That's how we measure greatness. And, and none of that was talked about in this conversation. It was just, are you ready for Christmas? And, and here's what I said. Because I, I, I knew, and I, I knew, I already, I think it had been subliminally, or God was in his spirit telling me, this is, this is what I want you to, to think about right now. And, and I really have try, been trying to my, do my best during Advent, during Christmas, to really 
be about Jesus. And I said this, I said, you know what? Yeah, I've, I have prepared lots of room in my heart and in my home for Jesus Christ. I'm ready for Christmas. I'm ready. I haven't wrapped a present. I haven't figured out a, a dinner schedule. Uh, we're going to probably ho- hopefully get some lights on the house after, this afternoon. Maybe not. It's raining. But I, I have prepared room in my heart and in my home for Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what I think is great. And that's what I think is great to God. God would say, that's, that's what I need you to do. Prepare room for me. That's what this is about. Yeah, I'm going to give gifts. I'm going to wrap presents, and I'll probably be doing it at midnight on the 24th. Right? Christmas Eve service happens here. Guess what I get to go do? <laughs> wrap presents. Or just put them in a bag. That's the easy way out, right, guys? Right? Love those bags. Okay? But are we ready for Christmas? So what, how do we measure greatness? So we're going we're to look at that today. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our scripture, okay? Father, thank you so much for your love. And God, thank you for reminding us when we need it the most that this is all about you. Father, I pray that our hearts would, would be turned toward Jesus, that in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our living rooms, in our, in our children's bedrooms at night, that we would prepare and make room for Jesus. That, God, we would be about him and let him invade and, and change us. And, God, we ask that for today, too. We've come to gather as the family of God, as those who've been grafted into this body through Christ and his blood and his, and his resurrection. And, God, I, I pray that you would help us to open our hearts and minds, to be receptive to your word, that you would, you would challenge us and change us. You would convict us by the power of your spirit, God, and move us into a place of obedience, that we would follow you, and God, that we would measure greatness by what you measure greatness by, not by what the, the world does. So help us today, we, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Luke 1, and we're going to read verses 5 through 17. This is a recap. We, we have read this uh, a few weeks ago, but it's really, I think, important to get a, uh, a context for where we're going to head today. So let's read a little bit more of the, of the story, and I'll stop along the way as we, as we commentate. Uh, and, uh, verse 5, in the days of King Herod of Judea, so there, stop there, King Herod, you know, Herod's name, Herod, it was called Herod the Great, Herod the Great, and, and Herod was great, and he was totally wicked and evil, like he, he was great in some brilliant ways where he, he was a part of construction and part of uh, some, some building projects in Israel. And it was, it was phenomenal. Like his mind was amazing. He was also very tyrannical. He, I mean, he, he would have anyone murdered at the drop of a hat. And, and there, was a, there was a story being said like that people got in an uproar, stopped killing people. So he built a pool at his house, at his palace, like this, this like salt, salt uh, water pool. Um, not, not a saltwater water pool, a freshwater pool near the saltwater, right? And he's there, and, and he invites people over, and they somehow end up having an accident in his pool and drowning. And they're like, stop killing people. Like, this, he's a crazy madman. He's the same one that when, when the prophecy was heard about Jesus being born, he said, I want the firstborns killed. Go out and kill them. Make sure they're, they're gone. I, I don't want... He was threatened. See, he was great. He was the king of the Jews. He was in that position of power. And, and he was Herod the Great. And he was great because he was powerful and he was wealthy. He, he had built a place, a port uh, for ships where there was no port and so that ships could come in and do commerce and trade and that, that he would get more rich right off the taxes and, and fees on that. That he, His empire was huge. He was, he was great in the world's eyes in that sense. He was also a, a, a maniac, right? Crazy. But he's called Herod the Great. That's the history books, right? That's what he, he wanted his name to be written and rem- remembered as. And so we, we think of what's great, and right away we see that there's a definition out there that we don't really like. We don't think that's so great. I ho- hope you don't. I mean, we don't think that's great. So let's see what carries on. What, what, is, what is Luke writing? What is, he, what is he showing here by the power of the Spirit that's great? In the days of King Herod of Judea, that's it, stop there, right? There's, that's all of Herod. Now it says, there was a priest, a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we have two, two characters that come into, into play. Already more has been said about them than Herod, right? Herod the Great. And now we see, and there were these two nobodies from nowhere. People that, that didn't, really, didn't really have a name for themselves. They just went about their business and were, were, were working hard to serve God as best they could. And here's what it says about them. Uh, her name was Elizabeth. Both, in verse 6, were what? Righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to the commands and requirements of the Lord. So right there, we, we see it already. How does God measure greatness? What did it say? Uh, both were righteous in God's sight. Right? They, they, and, and this is because of faith. Faith is credited to them as righteousness. 
there's a faith that's being present we talked about last week that's so important and, and, and because it gives us his righteousness. So what does God find great? People who have faith in him, who've embraced his righteousness, and then it goes on to say, and are, are without blame. They're, they're, they're working as hard as they can to, to, to outwardly show this inward change that's happened. Say, my life should line up with what God, who God is and what he's done in my life. That, that's what we're seeing as the measurement for great. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in their years. So this, this is a tough situation. Probably, again, a lot of prayer into this. Can we have kids, God? And there's a stigma. We talked about that a few weeks ago. There's a stigma about not having kids. You, you guys are old, and you, you, you don't have kids. What's going on? What sin is happening here that's preventing you from this? So there's a stigma. They want to be out of that. They, they know they're faithful. They know they love Jesus, right? They, they love God, and they're faithful to him. Going on, it says, when his division was on duty and was serving as priest before God, so the, uh, two times a year for, for a week each that they got the opportunity to go serve at the temple in Jerusalem, and that was part of his, his duty as a priest. There were lots and lots of priests, thousands of priests, and they got to go on, on duty, one, uh, I think there were over 700 at a time uh, each week to go do that. And then in that duty, it says, he, while he was doing that, it happened that he was chosen by lot. And we talked about that. It just so happens, it doesn't just so happen, right? This is God-ordained, God-orchestrated, that he, he won the lottery. I mean, basically, out of those 700-some-odd uh, priests, you, you drew a lot. And if you got drawn, you were the one who got to go in and light the incense and burn the incense next to the most holy place. They're in the holy place, not, not in the Holy of Holies, but right outside the Holy of Holies, burning this altar of incense, uh, offering their faith and prayers up to God while everyone prays. So, so he gets chosen. just so happens. It's pretty good luck, right? It's pretty good, pretty good fortune. I mean, you think of a, a guy like this. Like, this is exciting. What's God? God's up to something. God's just blessing my socks off. This is awesome. Then what happens? He, he was burning incense according to custom. Uh, and at the hour of incense, the whole assembly, in verse 10, of the people were praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him. So now we have this, not only am I getting to burn this incense, and this is amazing, he's probably offering some prayers he hasn't offered in a long time inside the temple. And then what happens? An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. Kind of faith kind of dwindled. I mean, you think, man, God's up to something, God's up to something, and then an angel appears. God's definitely up to something. But you've had 400 years of silence and, and no, no mention of angels appearing here. We don't, I mean, you might question a little bit too. I might question, right? The angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because you're, and I love how he says Zechariah, he says my name. Do not be afraid, the Lord remembers. That's your name, remember? The Lord remembers. Do not be afraid because your prayer has been heard. God's hearing. You see, your prayers have been heard. This is what, again, what's measured is great. God's heard your humility and your prayers. God is answering your prayers. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John, meaning God is gracious. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be, what's the word? Great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. What wonderful news. What exciting news. And, and we, we know that he didn't quite, he's like, wait, Say, what? How, wait, how's this going to happen? I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I believe you. And then the angel's like, well, because you didn't believe me, I'm going to mute you. And he was silent from that point on until John was born. And I, I, I guarantee you, he had nine months to think about what he'd done. It's a long time out. And, he, and God dealt, dealt with his heart and helped his heart and grew his heart. But, but success or greatness was measured right there with faith and humility and, and, and righteousness that comes from God. It was humble humility to pray and to, to, to petition the Father. That's where we see success, right? The, there's a mention of Herod, but it was just like half of a line about Herod the Great. Now, there's more in Scripture about that, but what we're focusing on is what, what, is, what does greatness look like? What, is, what does it mean to be the greatest? Um, I want to look a little more deeply. Go to, go to chapter 7 of Luke. We'll keep our finger here in Luke 1. We'll be, we'll be back. Let's go to chapter 7 of Luke. Because this, he said, um, he will be great, Right? He will be great. And I want to talk about what it is to be the greatest because I think there's some aspirations sometimes we have. We want to be great in our own way and we, we want to be great with what we want to be great with. But I think greatness is something God wants of us, but in his way. And, and, and we'll see more of that as we go. So chapter 7, verses 24 um, through 28. 
24 through 28. It says, after John's messengers left, this is John uh, the baptizer's messengers, he left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What, and we read this a few weeks ago, right? But it says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A, a reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly, splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? And Jesus is saying, listen, what did you think you were going to find? All this talk about a prophet of God, all this talk about someone that's like Elijah, all this talk about this man who eats weird things and has long hair and wears weird clothes, all this talk, you're like, something's happening here. God's up to something. And not only is there talk about John himself as a man in ministry, there's been talk since he was conceived about what's to come, about the embracing of the promise of God and the, and, and the, and the promise that was given not only in, in Genesis um, in 3, but also to Abraham and then to, to David, the line of David, through Samuel. We know that there's something going on here. So when he's asking, he's like, what did you expect to see? You're, are you shocked? Are you shocked? And maybe they were. He says, a prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is Jesus talking about John. This is the one whom it is written... See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Jesus is like, yeah, he, this is the one that's supposed to have come. We've seen this. We've read about it. We know about it. We've talked about it. This is him. Don't expect something different. This is really him. And then it goes in in verse 28. I tell you, Jesus says this, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. So John, I would say, is a pretty good person for us to look at. If we want to look at greatness, we look at the greatest. What Jesus says is, among those born of, of, of men, right, there's no one greater than John. And, and obviously Jesus is Jesus, and he's divine, so there's really no one greater than Jesus, right? But he's saying, John, John's great. So for you and I, what I want us to look at today is, is, is maybe we can glance and learn a little bit about greatness, or being great, or being the greatest from John, and see how we can maybe change the way we measure greatness, and align it more scripturally with what Jesus says is great. And, and who's the greatest, okay? So that's what we're going to do today through our text. Um, I want to I read, go back to Luke 1. We'll read now the part of Zechariah's song that we left off at, okay? We've read through uh, verse 75 in the previous weeks. We're going to read verses 76 and 77 today as Zechariah continues to overflow with praise, embracing the promise, right? Knowing that, that, that God is up to something amazing. Now he's going to talk about the greatest, his son, John. And, and who he's going to be. He's prophesying about this, this child who was just born. So verse 76, here we go. It says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's an amazing job description, isn't it? That's an amazing, if you have a resume and you put that on your resume, it's like a one-liner on your uh, verses 75 or 76, 77. Here you go. That's my resume. Whoa. And then you see Jesus saying, this guy, this is the greatest. He's, he's the greatest. So today I want to look at just three short things about the greatest. What are some attributes of the greatest? And, and we certainly see this in John, but I hope you and I can aspire to be great in the ways that God says that John was great. So number one is this, the greatest are filled by God's Spirit. They are filled by God's Spirit. The greatest are filled by God's Spirit. And which means there's a setting aside of our own desires, doesn't it? It means that I, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about how good I am. It's about setting myself aside and letting God be the one that lives in me and works in me and through me. You're, he's filled by the Spirit. Uh, Zechariah said, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High God, right? Who does, who does he work for? He's under the marching orders of the Most High. Right, that's who his boss is. That's the, we'll precursor that with this. If we go back to verse 15, though, we read this a minute ago. Let's go back to 15. Um, this is the angel speaking of John, this, this proclamation about John being bored. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. So, there's again, our measurement should not be against your neighbor, against culture, against the television or the magazine or the article or that new app thing you have. It's not that. It's what do we look like and appear to be in front of and inside of the Lord? What does the Lord think about it? He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink beer or wine. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mother's womb. Like God's like, he's special. I'm going I'm to give him the Spirit right now. He will turn many of the children of Israel 
to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. In the spirit, right? There's God, so God's spirit is going to be leading and guiding. And we can see that the spirit is at work in people when, when people wholeheartedly abandon themselves and they love Jesus. When they abandon their own, their own idolatry and their own, their own ego and they say, I'm going to worship God. God's the one that deserves the credit. He deserves the worship. And, and when they abandon their own ambitions and say, I, I just want to serve him and do what he wants me to do. When they want to be more like him. That, that's what the Spirit does inside. See, there's a yielding in John's heart uh, to God and to the movement of God's Spirit in him and before him. So I'm, I'm going to let God work in me and I'm going to let God lead me and go before me. I'm going to follow him. This, that's the yielding of heart. No matter, see, no matter whether you and I lead other people, like we all are a role model in some way or an example in some way, right? But whether or not we lead others or not, the greatest, the greatest are those who are led by God. The greatest are those who are led by God and the power of His Holy Spirit. They take the back seat and they follow Him. That's what we're called to do, is take the back seat. And then as we take that back seat and let him work, we are changed by him. And there's a fruit that is produced. And that greatness that we aspire to is built by him. And it's really a greatness that comes from him. On Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, this talks about the fruit of the Spirit within us, the Spirit of God living inside of us, residing inside of us. As we yield to Him and believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And as we continue to yield and set aside our own, our own priorities, our own ambitions, He begins to work inside of us and fill us up. The less of me inside, the more of Him can fill up. And He begins to produce a fruit in me and, and it shows outside. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that are measured as great. And, and the next verse says, or the next part of that verse, there's no law against these things. No one's created a law here that says, you can't be nice. Stop being patient. That's against the, no, that's not, there's no, this is, this is normal good things that we ought to be that we can't without his power. So we yield, and, and to be truly great, we yield to the Holy Spirit and let the Spirit be great in us. And it says in verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, here's what they've done. They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we really want to be filled with the Spirit and let the Spirit of God produce a fruit in us that, that our lives would then be measured as great in God's sight because He's doing a great thing in us, you and I have to set aside our own ideas, our own agenda. We have to set aside our own passions and our own desires. And we have to exchange those passions and desires for His. And I'm not saying all of our passions and desires are even bad. But we still should take them out and set them over here and say, God, what do you want me to do? What, what should I look like? What should, what should be in my life? And then put those there. And if some of those line up, great. You were doing a great job. You, you kind of got the idea of it. But what you're doing is I'm going to trust in you to, to change me from the inside out. And there's great consequences to that. As you and I crucify our flesh and we set aside our passions and desires, the consequences of being filled by God's Spirit, it, it, it means I'm going to love people more. I'm going to have a greater love for God. And those are horrible consequences, aren't they? The worst consequences. Greater love for people, greater victory over sin, greater, greater power and, and ability to serve others by Him giving us gifts, spiritual gifts that we could use to serve others and, and benefit the body of, of Christ. That's what He's saying. Like, that's the measure of greatness. Living filled by the Spirit is to live in humble submission to God and His sovereign will. We just went through the Lord's Prayer, didn't we? Uh, God, not my will be done. Your will be done. I, I, I want to surrender. See, that's what greatness is about. And, and before we go on a little further, we're in the next point. Um, I want us to understand something. Like, it's hard for us to say, I want to be great. Oh, no, no, I, I can't be great. I can't. No, no, no. There was an argument. There's a story in the Scripture where there was an argument being had, and then someone asked, well, what, what does it mean? What does it take to be great? They asked Jesus this question. What does it take to be great? And Jesus, you know, we think, oh, he should have rebuked him. You, you shouldn't be great. That's not what he said. He said, if you want to be great, become the servant of all. 
That, and that, that's a measurement. That's a measurement of greatness. Be a servant of all. So number two, that's the point number two, right? The greatest will be the least. The greatest will be the least. Verse 76, the second part of it, is, or the whole thing, it says, a new child will be called a prophet of the Most High God, right? He works for God. And then look what he does. He's going to be least. For you will go before the Lord to prepare, whose? His ways. You see, when we decide to be the least and a servant of all, what we're saying is, it's not about my agenda. My, the person giving me the marching orders, that's who I'm going to serve. And, and I'm going to just, I'm going to be happy in that. I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm going to be glad in that. Look at Luke chapter 3. Your, your finger's still here, but look at Luke 3. It's like a page over, right? We're going to look at verses 15 and 16. I, w- I want you to see the attitude that John had about, about being the greatest. I mean, he, he, never, he never said, oh, I'm the greatest. I'm, but other people were like, you're awesome. You're amazing. I want to show you what he said. And, and s- we'll see how this is measured in, in terms of being the greatest, okay? So we're in Luke chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 15 and 16. Now all the people were waiting expectantly, and, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. Like, man, this guy's amazing. This guy, there's something about this guy. We know he's the forerunner, right? He's, he's the one coming before the Messiah. And in verse 16, it says, And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, right? Just normal water. But one who is more powerful than I am is coming. You see what he did there? He says, I'm nothing. There's, there's one coming, though, that, that is something, and that's the one we want to focus on. I'm here for him. And look what he says next, that last part of verse 16. And I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. I'm not, I'm not worthy to tie or untie his shoes. I'm, I, that's, I'm not even worthy. He, and he places himself in that place of, I'm the least. I want to be a servant of all. I want to fill, fill that spot and say, yes, God, I'm, I'm living to, to serve you. I'm living to be filled by your spirit, the spirit of God inside me, so that I can be empowered then to be the servant of all and give credit where credit is due. Uh, turn to John with me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the book of John. John chapter 3. I want to show you again this, this, this joy and this excitement in, in John, and it's, it's that litmus test, that measurement, because the question I asked earlier, the question you and I should be asking in our own heart is, how am I measuring greatness? Or, or how am I measuring success? But how am I measuring greatness? And so John gives us another snapshot here, a great, a great opportunity to see how, how it's measured. So John chapter 3, and we're looking at verses uh, 25 through 30. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples uh, and a Jew about purification. Now, there's, there's a dispute happening, right? There's kind of what's the better doctrine? Who's the greatest? It's, it's one of those kind of disputes. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone's going to him. It's like, hey, there's a new church down the street, and everyone's going there, and they're not here. I, what do we do? What's going on? And you think we could have this really you know, tough time, and he'd be like, oh, I can't do that. we got to get him back. Let's see what he said. Let's see what his attitude was. If you want the greatest, what does it say? John responded, No one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. So John's saying, I'm, I'm not the Messiah, right? He goes on to paint this picture. He says, he who has the bride is the groom. Isn't that a wonderful picture? He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend, he's talking about himself, who stands by and listens for him, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. And here's, look what he says. He must increase and I must decrease. That's what John is saying. The greatest man ever, Jesus said, says, no, I, I want to be the least of these. I want to be the least. I just want to be a humble servant serving my God, my Messiah, and pointing everyone to him. Listen, it's not a bad thing to aspire to be great providing that we do it in a biblical way and that we pursue it humbly. And our desire in our heart should be one that comes from the Holy Spirit convicting us and saying, we are going to humble ourselves and be a servant of all. And that's, that's the litmus test. In God's kingdom, those who are, are last will be first. Right? The least are the greatest. Those who are servants of all are great. 
So why? Why is that important? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I wasn't going to have you turn here, but it's such a good, good verse. I, just, I want you to, to look at this. 2 Corinthians. Maybe you can underline it in your Bible as well. And maybe you're not an underliner. That's okay, too. I've, I've met a lot of people who are like, I don't want to touch this with a pen or pencil. Nope. I, I just, for me, I take notes. I, I have, a, I have a, well, several Bibles that are my, my grandparents, and, and, uh, but I have one I, I just love to use. It was my grandma's, and she, oh, man, it is so rich in her thoughts and what she's learned and gleaned and the margins and notes that she's written and the things she's underlined and references she's made to other texts to go there. And I, I know that her notes aren't Scripture, but it's such a wealth of, of uh, a testimony and a, that I get to hold on to. I love that. So I, I hope that my kids one day can use my Bible or Bibles and see the notes I've written as well and how, what God taught me. So we're in 2 Corinthians, and we're looking at chapter 4, and I want to look at verses 5 and 6. This is, this is kind of the answering the why. This is answering the question why? Why do we want to be the servant of all? Why do we not want to be great in the way the world says we should be great? Well, here's what it says in verse 5. It says, For we are what? Not proclaiming ourselves. We are not proclaiming ourselves. Being great in the kingdom of God is not about proclaiming ourselves. It goes on, right? It says, uh, But proclaiming who? Jesus Christ as Lord. I've had to remind myself over and over, and I've counseled many of you maybe even in this, I'm not the Savior. I am not Jesus. You are not the Savior. That friend that you have that's just falling apart and they're a wreck and they're counting on you, you are not their Savior. You can point them to the Savior because you know the Savior, but you do not have to be their Savior. Jesus has said he would do that. And our job is not to proclaim ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and proclaim ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. That's what we proclaim. We proclaim ourselves as servants. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my filthiness made clean by Jesus. I want to boast as a servant. In verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So there's a light that, that shines in and radiates inside of us, and that, that light should change us. And when we proclaim Him and not us, when we proclaim Him, that light continues to shine into the darkness and gives people the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We ought to be pointing to Him, and that's number three. The greatest, point others to the knowledge of salvation in Christ. The greatest are those who point others to the knowledge of salvation in Christ. All right, we're going back to Luke 1. You got your finger there, right? I love Bibles with ribbons. And I, I recently, well, a few months ago, I bought a new Bible to read and use. And uh, it has two ribbons. It has two, right? I get to keep track of two places. But it helps knowing where, where Scripture is. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we're back there in, in Zechariah's song. And we're going to read the whole thing again in, this, in view of this. The, the greatest point others to the knowledge of salvation in Christ. And here it is, verses 76 and 77 in Luke 1. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. See, this is his proclamation already. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's the prophecy. That, that he would, John would give his people, God's people, knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now, it can be argued there that his people is referring to John's people, who this Jewish people who would, who would hear the gospel and believe. But we know that God's gospel has gone further than that, to the Gentiles, to all who might believe. Right? And I, I, I want you to understand, in, in this scripture too, we, we have this, this um, theology of, of election and predestination. You have this uh, theology of, of free will and, and choice. And in some way, those are harmonizing themselves in Scripture. That, that some camps say, well, it's all, it's all choice, or it's all choice. There's no, no election at all. There's no God doing anything. It's just up to us. And then the other camp says, no, it's not up to us at all. It's all God. We don't have a choice at all. We don't have a say. It's, we're either going to heaven or not. And, and to me, those are two extremes that, that don't make sense and harmonize in Scripture. But we see both. And you know what's okay to me? Is letting that be a mystery. Letting that, letting that be a mystery and, and understanding that I am still saved by grace through faith and in Christ alone. That, yes, I have to exhibit faith in Christ and, and that God is going to move in me and maybe give me that gift of faith or give me that, that ability to believe, but I have to believe. 
in Jesus Christ. But here's what it does free us. When we talk about trying to harmonize this together and not be so, so uber-sensitive to, to the fact that it's all about choice, if, if, I, if I know that it's, it's only about you choosing, it's nothing, God has nothing to do with it, for me, your friend, I am going to be so, so burdened. Because it, I have to do every stinking thing that I can, because God's not involved at all. I have to do everything I can to twist your arm and drag your heart and pull you into heaven with me. And that is not fun. That is not a burden God has intended us to carry. So if we're on that extreme side of things, it's only, it's only free will. It's only, it's only don't. We've we got to twist and pull and prod. And, and yeah, we, we need to share Christ with people. But I go back to what I said a minute ago. I am not the Savior and you are not the Savior. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of, of sin and righteousness and judgment. And, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to save people and draw them into a saving faith into him. That's his job. Yours and my job is to rejoice that we're saved and to go out and share with people how their sins can be forgiven. That's our job. We see that expressed from Paul in Corinthians. The greatest job we have is to be ambassadors of Christ, telling the world that God is willing to not hold their sins against them. I've been forgiven. Jesus forgave me. I don't have to convince you. I just need to tell you and pray for you and ask, answer questions if I can. We, we need to let that burden go. We think we hear evangelism. We think evangelism, and to be an evangelist, that means I have to dedicate all this time and energy to making sure that my friends have every answer that they need and that I can convince them in every clever way that Jesus is real. Who, who do you and I think we are? Like, we're not the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is active in us, and we can certainly have those divine moments, Right? where we're going to be able to speak truth into someone's life and let them see and know Jesus. But we, our job is to point people to him. Not to our cleverness, not to how, how much wit or, or knowledge or doctrine we have, how well put together we are with that. That's, that's not it. He, he's God. We're, we're not the Savior. We point them to the cross so they can see that there's a knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins from what Jesus did for them. So we have this hope and this joy inside of us, and greatness is measured in that way. Greatness is not measured in the kingdom of God by you going out and twisting people's arms, dragging them, kicking and screaming to heaven. That, that won't be a picture that we see. No one gets drugged into heaven kicking and screaming. I, I, I mean, it's, and there are people who have been saved by Jesus that it's like, I, I don't want anything to do with them, and God just melts their heart, and it, feel, it feels like they were kicking and screaming. But we, we can't coerce somebody. We pray for people. We love people. And let the Holy Spirit do, what's, do the work inside. We point people to the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ so that they might believe. You see, here's the truth, that we, we are sinful. And we have separated ourselves from a holy, perfect, and pure God. And you might say, oh, I'm, I'm good, but that's, that's a person I talked about earlier. That's when you go home tonight and you lay your head on your pillow. You're like, am I really good enough? That's the question going through your mind. And the answer is no. None of us are good enough. Only Christ is good enough. He's the only one truly good. He was the truly greatest one in all of history who went to the cross to pay for a penalty that I owed to die the death that I should have died. And he, he, he didn't stay there. He, he rose from death, conquering death once and for all, that you and I could have life in him. And that's the hope and joy of Christmas. So our job, as if we want to be the greatest as measured in God's, God's terms biblically, we need to point others to the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ, especially what an opportunity right now at Christmas. What an opportunity we have. And I hope that, that your measure for greatness is not getting the lights up and getting the, the presents wrapped, but your measure for greatness is, is am I preparing room in my heart, in my family's heart? Am, am I preparing room in conversation with my coworkers to talk about Jesus Christ? If I put lights on the house, it's because I want to shine them bright so people can talk to me about Jesus' light and how great he is. We're going to read one last passage before we close. Turn to John chapter 1 with me. We're done in Luke now for a while until next week, right? Go to John chapter 1. I just want to end with this scripture. I think it's profound and powerful. It talks about John's, John's role and his, his goal as being the greatest man who's ever been born. What did that look like? Well, we're going to see that right here. We're also going to see this, this hope we have in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, beginning, beginning in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. They're talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And here at verse 9, this is our, our ending verse, Christmas verse for today. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Amen? That's what Christmas is all about. And if we want to seek to be the greatest, we need to point, point out to people, everyone, that the true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. His name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's stand and pray together. Father, it's, it's tough to even think about desiring to be great in your eyes, but God, there's such, an, such a, a broad way that you've, you've measured that, in a specific way you've measured that also that's, that's so humble. God, I, I pray that you would transform our hearts, that our, that our hearts and our desires, our passions would not be those of, of the world, to set up a standard or a, a standard of measurement for greatness based on what they think we should do but that greatness would be achieved by just being humble servants of all. That we would desire that your Spirit would indwell us, but also fill us to overflowing, God. That, that a fruit that we produce is not our fruit, it's your fruit. That people would see those qualities as, as divine qualities from Jesus, and that's what you define as great. God, that we would, we would desire to be least. That we would, in order to be great, that we would desire to be a servant of all. And, and our hearts are not for our own agenda. Our hearts are to serve you and, and for your agenda. We want to be following you. And God, that we would, with our life and with the hope that we have inside of us, that we would point people to Jesus as the Savior. And that people would come to know and believe in faith in Jesus Christ and exchange their fear and their guilt with faith in his righteousness. You're an amazing God. Give us opportunities, and, and you already are, but let us, let us see the opportunities and take advantage of the opportunities, those divine appointments that you put in our path to share the light of Christ with people. And God, help us to, to let go of and release the burden that, that maybe we placed on ourselves or someone else's place there, that we have to be their Messiah, that we have to convince them, that we have to drag them and twist their arm. God, help us just to share genuine love of how you've changed us and forgiven us and how the cross has made everything new. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.